Hello, and welcome to the Big Leads Press Pass podcast. I am your host, Liam McEwen, and today we are joined by Maddie Glab, multimedia journalist for the Buffalo Bills. Maddie, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. And as always, we'll just get started by uh, Maddie. How about you just walk us through your journey through sports media, kind of from when you first realized that you wanted to be in sports journalism to how you ended up with the Buffalo Bills? Yeah, it started a long time ago, I'd like to say. Uh, I'm born and raised in Chicago, and so I feel like many of my friends and a lot of people who are sports journalists who come from Chicago understand that just sports is something that is kind of ingrained in them as they were being raised. Uh, My dad was a huge, passionate Chicago sports fan growing up. And so when he had kids, of course, he wanted that for his kids as well. So we grew up following the Chicago Cubs, the Bears, the Blackhawks, the Bulls, uh, you name it. We were at the games, we were watching it and grew up playing a lot of sports as well. Uh, the Chicago Cubs were, were the number one team for our family. So when they won that World Series, it was uh, one of the happiest times in my life. But anywho, <laughs> I grew up loving sports, grew up watching sports, grew up wanting to work in sports in some way, not knowing really what. And just from watching ESPN and watching games on TV, it kind of dawned on me, it'd be cool to get paid to talk about sports. How can I make that happen? So since I was pretty young, it's something that I've always wanted to do. And when I got the chance to go to school for it and kind of figure out, okay, what do I want to major in? Where can I go? Uh, I looked into the University of Missouri, great journalism school there, and thought, okay, let's, let's try it out here. Let's actually see if this is what I want to do. Because so many people go to college thinking they want to do this, and then once they get into their first year of classes, they're like, oh, this is terrible. I don't want to do this. I actually want to do something else. So uh, went to journalism school at the University of Missouri and got involved right away at mm-hmm. our local affiliate station in Columbia, Missouri, which was KOMU. And we had to go out there for classes anyways, starting our junior year. But I thought it was important to get my butt out there my freshman year to learn about as much as I could and see if this is what I really wanted to do. So pretty quickly, I realized this is exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, had a great experience there really diving into what it what it would look like to be a sports reporter, a sports anchor uh, at a true job level because I was working at the affiliate as a sports anchor, the NBC affiliate in town as a sports anchor. So really got a good look at what it would be like to be in a professional setting in that sense. So I graduated in 2014. Uh, Sports jobs are definitely hard to get a full-time job for right out of college because sports in general, it's just hard to work in that field if you want to be a coach, if you want to be a reporter, if you want to be an athlete. Uh, It's the cool thing to do, and there's not a lot of jobs that pay good out of college. So what I did was I applied for, like many people, hundreds of jobs and really didn't hear back from too many, even though I thought I had great resume. Uh, a great background in my knowledge and covered some great teams at Mizzou from football to basketball to some really crazy stories like Michael Sam 
coming out. I got to be a part of some really great stories and cover them and use them for my resume. Um, But job market, not so great. So what I did was reached out to a bunch of schools that I thought were big sports schools uh, because early on a lot of my teachers told me that it would be important to try working for a team or a university first because local sports, local TV was dying. So if I could uh, latch myself onto a team, I may get paid more and I may like my job a little bit more. So I kind of followed their lead, emailed a bunch of people in media departments within universities, somehow got an email back from Stanford and a few other schools. Stanford was hiring um, part-time basically for a full-time role. So I thought, you know what, why not? I'll get out there. I'll figure it out. I don't need to get paid a bunch of money. I can work on the side. At least I can get my foot in the door. So I started out um, moving to Palo Alto, uh, working for Stanford University in their athletic department as an on-air host and a producer. So I shot and edited a lot of video from a lot of different sports. They, I feel like they have every single sport known to mankind on that campus. And so we were covering anything from football to squash at times. Uh, and fencing. It was crazy. Um, So I got to work at Stanford for almost a year and got my feet wet. It was great being able to work for um, an athletic department and learn, you know, how an athletic department works in that sense. Every athletic department is completely different in how they operate, um, their brand, their message to what they put out on social media. So after my year was up, uh, I decided that I was really homesick and missing the SEC because I went to school at the University of Missouri. My first two years were in the Big 12. Last two years were in the SEC and really fell in love with the fan base that the SEC provides. So uh, the University of Tennessee had an opening, a similar opening to what I'm in right now with the Buffalo Bills. And so I thought, you know, why not put my name in the hat? I've got a good resume. Uh, Let's see if I can get to an SEC school where I feel like the fans share the same passion as I do. It's another reason why I'm in this field is because I absolutely love sports and I love connecting with people who feel the same way as me about sports. Um, So got the job at the University of Tennessee and was there the last four years um, leading up to, I guess, my my one year with the Buffalo Bills. So spent four years at Tennessee in a role where I was doing a lot of different things from producing to being our on-air talent for all of our sports uh, to sidelining for SEC Network uh, for sports like men's and women's basketball, volleyball, soccer, and then I was also our sideline reporter for the Tennessee football team for our official radio station on game days. So got to do a whole lot of things at Tennessee um, from feature stories to reporting and things like that. Absolutely loved it there. Absolutely fell in love with the city and the fans and the history of that university. So Spent four years there and was ready to, you know, move on, make my way up the professional ladder, as they say. And I had always wanted to work for a professional sports team. And football is 
my one love. And so I knew the NFL was hopefully going to be next for me. And so I saw the Buffalo Bills had posted a job and a lot of these jobs you can, you know, find on social media and things like that. So I saw they had posted a job for a reporter position and I thought I would apply. So thankfully got the job with the Buffalo Bills, you know, never thought I would actually live in Buffalo, uh, but (laughs) being in the sports world, a lot of these jobs you get, you never think you're going to live there. I never thought I'd be working for Stanford or Tennessee, but you kind of bounce around wherever you can get a job. um, And that's how you work your way up the ladder. And so I got a job with the Buffalo Bills. I have been in Buffalo since July, coming up on a year in just about a month. And man, time has flown by. Uh, I have absolutely loved every second here. Um, getting to know the players, the teammates, my coworkers. It's just a great environment and a great culture to be in. And there's so many similarities between Buffalo and the SEC. The fan bases are very similar. I think it's about the closest thing to college football in the NFL. And that's something, again, that I absolutely love. The the fans are passionate. I'm a passionate sports fan, and I love connecting those two dots and getting to share stories of the team, stories of the coaches to such a passionate fan base. So that's kind of how I got to where I'm at today. And uh, I'm just so thankful for the journey that I've had so far in the sports world. Absolutely. And it sounds like that's almost the uh, prototypical modern way of kind of weaseling your way into sports media is just finding whatever you can to start getting them years of experience and then going from there kind of directly to where you wanted to go. So you got in at Stanford. Then you are, I want to go back to the SEC, did Tennessee, wanted to do pro football, got pro football. So that's awesome. A uh, couple of questions about your journey here was uh, when you went to Stanford and you became an on-air uh, personality and producer, was that the first time that you had done primarily on-air stuff or did you do stuff like that at Missouri? I did a lot of stuff like that at, at Missouri. And I know like breaking into the sports world in your first job, outside of college it's it's really hard if you want to be on camera it's tough to land an on-camera job in your first job and if you do that usually you're going to go to a local tv station that's maybe in a smaller town or city which is not awful at all because you get to get reps which you can put on your reel and then you can work your way up again it's it may not be where you thought you were going to live, but it's all a part of working your way up the ladder. So I had been on camera for quite a while at Missouri. Again, it was thankfully because I got involved so early at the NBC affiliate KOMU 8 TV station. Uh, I worked there my freshman year and just worked our sports desk job, which just meant I was answering the phone and also typing up web stories for the website and kind of learning how to operate a video camera, cover stories, do a lot of shadowing with other reporters and anchors and kind of just learn the lingo and what goes on behind the scenes and um, how I could see myself fitting into something like that. And then my sophomore year, an opportunity presented itself where I was able to start being our morning sports anchor a couple days a week. And so amazing opportunity, but I had to go into work at like midnight and get ready for the morning show. And so my sleep schedule is completely whack as I was 
in, in school and also working a part-time job uh, at a country club. And so I would try and go to bed pretty early, would have to get up at midnight, get to the station about one in the morning, write my scripts, get my video ready, and then had to be ready to go on air, I think by six in the morning or something like that. And then after I would anchor sports, I would go to class that morning. So uh, not that much sleep during that year, but it was a great opportunity. And then from that, I was able to get a sports anchor role my junior and senior year uh, weekend shifts and then sometimes during the week filling in for my boss who is the sports director at that station and the really cool thing about Missouri that not a lot of other schools have when it comes to their journalism program is you get to get live reps so it's not like you're playing sports anchor or like taking reps as if you were sports anchor, you're actually on the NBC local TV station as a sports anchor. So I was able to have three years of on-camera experience from anchoring sports to uh, reporting in the field to doing some sideline reporting. And so all of that really helped me build my resume and build my reel to be able to get a job that allowed me to be on camera right away. Absolutely. And then one of the other interesting things about your journey that you mentioned is when you were at Tennessee, you were actually the on-air reporter for SEC Network, which is, you know, from my purview, SEC Network is a leap up from the stuff that you had done previously, just because that's an espn owned network. When you first were working with that, did you feel, I don't know, I mean, I would feel nervous about going on ESPN at any point, much less my first <laughs> same way. Yeah, I mean, at first, I was definitely nervous because in my eyes, it was a big jump too, going from Stanford to working for Tennessee. Uh, Stanford has the Pac-12 network and SEC has the SEC network, but uh, how they use coverage and what they choose to cover was quite different. Um, SEC network, you know, has has the relationship with ESPN and is tied to ESPN where Pac-12 network isn't. And so there were a lot of opportunities at Tennessee that I was really excited to get to be a part of once I got there, but heck yeah, it was nervous at first. I mean, uh, a lot of the games that I sidelined were on the digital platform. So you could view them on, it was like ESPN three or on the website, but still, I mean, the bug was in the corner that said SEC Network. So it, it was a big deal. And, of course, my first few games probably weren't the best because I was so nervous. But with reps, you get a lot more confident. And by the time I was moving on to my next job with the Buffalo Bills, uh, sidelining was something that I really looked forward to doing, felt a lot more relaxed being on camera. And I think that's something that a lot of reporters and uh, sports anchors would say is, you know, with more reps, you get a lot more relaxed in your job. Definitely. Now that we're on the subject, when you made that leap from Tennessee to Buffalo, is there anything in particular that stood out as far as how your job was different when you went from covering college sports to professional sports? There's a lot of differences and a lot of similarities. Uh, I already pointed out the the similarities in the fan base, which is something that I was so excited to get to Buffalo and experience because when I ac accepted the job, a lot of people on Twitter uh, were saying, you know, this is about the closest thing you can get to a college football fan base. And that is something that I absolutely fell in love with at Tennessee. The passion of the fans was something that 
I could really connect to and relate to from growing up in Chicago and following Chicago sports and being so passionate about. Uh, I was so excited to get to experience that in Buffalo, and I definitely felt that my first year. But it's a little different in the sense of in college, these kids are they're younger and they're going to school and they eat, sleep, and breathe at the football complex almost. Uh, whether they're doing homework there, whether they're hanging out there, most of their lives happen on campus. And most of them would live in dorms or in an apartment down the street. And so you saw them walking around all the time. You could kind of interact with them all the time. They had to be there for meetings every single day, for rehab every single day, for practice every single day. And then they kind of just spent their time there too. Whereas for me, the difference with working in the NFL now is this is their full-time job. They are here because they're, they of course absolutely love the sport and love football and wouldn't want to be doing anything else, but it's also their full-time job and they're getting paid to do their job. And they, they spend a lot of time at the facilities, but once they're done with their work, they go home to their families and they go home to, you know, wherever they live in Buffalo. So you don't get as much, I guess, face time with the athletes um, as I did working for a college team, just because they were around so much. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I never thought about it like that because a lot of the other reporters that I've talked to who have sort of made that jump from covering college to covering professional sports they weren't really doing what you were doing. They covered it for other outlets. They didn't uh, work for the mm -hmm. school. But they do say something similar to the effect of it's harder to get to know the professional athletes just because the access that the schools generally give them is overall greater, I guess, than the professional mm -hmm. athletes. Just because, as you said, you know, it's, this, it's these kids' livelihoods from 18 to 22. But once that's done, you know it's a job and they have like another part of their life. So it's, it's just interesting to think about. Did you, I don't know, is there any part of your coverage that has changed in any way that you can think of with that in mind? I guess with that in mind, I mean, since I've worked for a team, you know, my, all my last two jobs going into working for the Buffalo Bills, the access is pretty much the same because you're in house and you're a part of the team and, and you get to see these players when other reporters don't, you know, you get to see them walking through the hallways. You get to say hello to them in the weight room and things like that. You get to have those side conversations to, to build a relationship with these players. Cause that's, that's what you're trying to do at the end of the day is you want to know that you want the players to know that like you're, you're there for them. You're trying to help share their story or whatever they want to share. You know, you're on the same team as, as them and you're going to try and make them look as good as possible. Um, and so I'd say maybe something different is just, and this happens with every single new job, but is just trying to start building those relationships again. Um, working for a new team where I'm not from Buffalo, I don't really have any ties to Buffalo. Um, didn't really know anybody on the coaching staff. Thankfully had some crossover on the team. So I had a few guys that had played at Missouri or played at Tennessee that were on the roster that I knew, which was great because it was easy to make some uh, interaction and some of those first conversations based on people that I knew. But 
it's tough to, to get to know an entire roster in your first year and start to build those relationships, you know, that you want to last for a lifetime. I walk away from every team or every player that I get to cover, and I hope they can be somebody that I can be in touch with for the rest of my life or call them a friend for life. Um, because building relationships with the players, you know, is something that has always been really important to me. And I always want them to know that I'm always looking out for them. So any way I can help them, uh, that's what I want to do. So the first year in a new job, of course, is a little tough trying to build those relationships when you don't know them at all. And some of these guys could be six years older than me, three years older than me, where in college, they were all years younger than me. Um, and so I'm more mature than them. I, I kind of look, they may look up to me as um, not necessarily as a peer, but as, as somebody who um, can help them or is a teacher or anything in that, in that line of thought. But going into the NFL and, and getting to interact with players who, who have been in the league for a lot longer than you have, you, I also felt like I have to earn their respect to some degree, too. Definitely. And then you're weird. You know, you talked a lot of just there about the importance of building these relationships. And one of the many, many, many shockwaves that's coming from the uh, current state of the world with the global pandemic is that thinking about it from a media perspective, it seems like access is going to be much more limited, at least this year, than it has been in years past, and especially compared to your first year on the job when everything was basically normal. Um, totally. Do you, I mean, what kind of specific challenges do you foresee as far as getting to know guys like Stefan Diggs, who are just arriving in Buffalo this offseason, and I don't, I wouldn't imagine you've gotten a chance to talk to him face-to-face -face yet, but you've only really been able to do probably Zoom calls and things like that. How do you plan yeah overcome those kind of challenges it's going to be tough and it's kind of like we of course we don't have any of these rules from the nfl yet as to how we're going to be able to operate with interviews or with doing practice so we kind of don't know what it's going to look like right now but i would assume that we're going to continue to do zoom interviews at least while COVID is settling or while we're still seeing spikes and things like that with the thought that it could spike again in the fall. I mean, they're going to do as much as they can to keep these players safe and away from people who could transmit the disease, which rightfully so. Uh, they need to be healthy. They need to be ready to play in the games every single week and not have to worry about being quarantined for 14 days. So they're going to limit their contact probably with as many people as possible. But as somebody who has started to get to know these guys and really enjoy their company, it's like heartbreaking to me because that's my favorite part about the job is, is getting to interact with our players, getting to build those relationships, getting to learn their stories, getting to understand where they came from, uh, how tough their road to the NFL was, what obstacles they faced in life. Um, so many of their stories are so inspiring, and it's great to get to know them on that level as well as a casual level, just saying hey to them in the hallway. But I counted on our roster, and we have 29 new players entering the team. Now, of course, that number is probably – going to go down once you start roster cuts and things like that but those are 29 new players that I haven't even gotten to meet yet uh, I know one of them from a previous team who played at Missouri but there's rookies who I don't know there's 
free agents who I don't know. And then there's high profile free agents like Stefan Diggs coming into the team, who of course is going to make a huge impact this year and will probably be a big part of a lot of the content we put out um, depending on what he does on this team, which the expectations are high for him and everybody's really excited he's here, but it's tough when you can't build those relationships face to face and we have yet to interview uh, Stefan Diggs. So that day will be coming when he'll do media availability with local and national media. It hasn't came yet. And so it's, it's not going to be easy. It's, it's going to be tough because who knows when we're even going to be allowed into the complex too. Uh, they've opened NFL facilities for essential staff, but still there's so many people, including me, who are out of the office um, who don't get to be there every single day. And who knows if we even will once the season begins. We could be coming in for a couple days a week, a day or two a week, maybe just to watch practice if we're even allowed. So that's going to be a barrier, an obstacle to my job. But, of course, I'm going to do, you know, what I can to try and build those relationships, whether it's via Zoom or just via social media. Uh, I follow all of our players on Instagram and Twitter. And anytime, you know, I can comment on something or an Instagram story or just let them know that I hope they're doing well or I'm thinking about them. I try to do that to continue to build that relationship with with the guys who I already know. Definitely. It'll be a challenge, but it's a challenge for everybody, I suppose. Everybody's on even ground. <laughs> yeah. so. But that's a, a good segue to kind of just talking about the Bills' upcoming season here. We are just discussing Stefan Diggs. You said the expectations were high. Everybody's really excited for him. From your viewpoint, what should fans really expect from Diggs in his first season in a Buffalo uniform, especially in light of the fact that it's not exactly a normal off season where he gets to get acclimated with Josh Allen personally and gets plenty of time, not only studying the playbook, but acting it out on the field and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, Sean McDermott, our head coach and our offensive coordinator, Brian Dayball labeled the passing game as something that, you know, that's up in the air with a couple really important pieces as this roster um, becomes finalized in, in the coming months. That's something that, is very important to them is very important to Josh Allen as he enters year three and, and to not be able to work on the passing game in mini camps and in throwing sessions and you name it during the off season sucks because <laughs> you want Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen to have that connection or been able to start to build that connection before you get into training camp so you don't have to start from square one so that you already feel that you're ahead of the curve so you can just keep working uh, to improve that but it was really great to see that they were able to get together in Miami a couple weeks ago uh, Josh Allen Stefan Diggs pretty much all of the offensive skill players met up in Miami at uh, a complex down there and were able to train together for three days, I believe. So that really got the fan base so excited uh, to see some of the pictures that came from social media with the guys training together uh, to see Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs working together. I know that's something that everybody was anticipating so much. Uh, I know it got me really pumped and excited for the season 
but you look at Josh and, and what he did in the first two years uh, in the NFL, and really last year was, was his first entire year of being the Bills quarterback. And you saw him take so many steps forward last year in his decision-making process um, in the way that he approached a fourth quarter. Uh, he had so many come, he had four comeback wins, I want to say, um, which was great for a second year quarterback and a guy who's really young in the NFL and, in year three, you're only thinking that, that this can grow and that the completion percentage can be better better, and the decision-making can be even more better um, with pieces like Stefan Diggs and with the continuity of an offensive line that was their first year together last year. Now they're entering their second year together. And so you look at what has been put around him and what Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have done uh, in the last three years to make sure he has pieces around him in order to succeed. And Brandon Bean has always said that the puzzle is never going to be finished. So you look at this roster and you want to think, Oh, this, this looks pretty close to being like finished. This is pretty good. But at any point, Brandon Bean could, could add something to the puzzle. And he's always looking for, you know, what's best for this team. Uh, but Stefan Diggs, I definitely think will, will help Josh make his game even more expansive. I mean, we all knew that his long balls were not, the best last season he didn't connect on too many um throws that were more than 20 yards air distance and that's something that he needs to work on because Josh Allen has a cannon arm and that can be another phase of his game if he gets that right that can really help this offense succeed um they were closer to the bottom of the league in points per game and that's something that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott wanted to fix heading into the off season and into the season. Um, They need to be up over 20 points per game uh, in order to be in a lot more of these games. And they only lost one game by more than seven points last year. That was the Eagles game where that team did not play like themselves during the Eagles game, but every other game they lost, they lost by seven points or less which means they're pretty much in every single one of these games. It also means you're probably a big play away from scoring or from, from tying that game and making it go into overtime. And so I think Stefan Diggs, a guy who's had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons and is great when it comes to contested catches and is great when it comes to catching some really long passes, is going to be somebody that helps – with that phase of that game that Josh Allen needs to get right. And I think when you start to put all of these things together, you're looking at an offense that if things go right and if they're healthy, an offense that could be really complete in 2020. Definitely. It'll be, I think, you know, obviously it might take a little bit for the connection to fully be there, but I'm really excited Mm -hmm. to Allen just gun that thing down the field and have digs track. It's remar- it was remarkable to watch Diggs in uh, Minnesota just do that regularly with Kirk Cousins. And, you know, 
Cousins has a fine arm for a quarterback, but Allen has potentially the best arm in the league if you're just going by pure strength. So it'll be some yes. stuff to watch. But you were just talking about Brandon Bean. He's, in my view, one of the better, if not one of the best GMs in the NFL right now. And it seems like every single offseason, Buffalo brings in this low-risk, low-cost free agent who ends up being surprisingly, from an outside view, productive for them. So last year, Frank Gore comes to mind. I think either it was either the year before that or the previous season. You know, they brought in Micah Hyde, who ended up being crucial to that defense and still is. Who of this year's crop do you see as potentially being that low-risk, high-reward sign? I think there's quite a few that could be low-risk, high-reward. Are you talking about rookies, free agents, more free agents? More free agents. More free agents. I'm looking at our roster right now, and, I mean, the defensive line was the position that they targeted the most in free agency. The year before, it was the offensive line. I think a lot of those additions paid off. Uh, And when you look at the defensive line, you know, Shaq left the team, and um, who else lost the team? Jordan Phillips left the team. So you have Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips, who had productive years last year that are no longer on the team, so you have to replace that. And they do that by adding quite a few uh, former Carolina Panthers, which Brandon Bean is totally known to do. And in an offseason where a lot of these – free agents couldn't even make it to the facilities to, to check it out. Um, of course, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are going to lean on players that they already know what they can give. They already know their skill set. They already know the type of men they are in a locker room, and they already know how that player can fit within the culture of this team, which I think is so important in this weird virtual off offseason that we're in. I think that's going to play a huge part in the teams that you see that are going to be more successful in 2020. Of course, it's going to be the teams that have coaching staffs that are the same, not having to have a new head coach and a new entire position uh, rooms full of new coaches, but it's going to be the teams that have a pretty uh, complete roster from coaching staff to players as 2019 as in 2020. Uh, And when you look at the defensive line, somebody that I'm pretty excited about is Mario Addison. Uh, I think he's going to be able to add a lot. He's a defensive end. The Bills need somebody on the end uh, after Shaq Lawson went to the Miami Dolphins, and I think Mario Addison is going to be able to to give that to the Buffalo Bills. In the last four seasons, nine and a half sacks, 11 sacks, nine sacks, nine and a half sacks. Uh, that's a lot of production. And this guy is 32 years old, but when he met with the media on a Zoom call, he said he felt like he was 25. (laughs) And to get that type of production that late in your career, I mean, the last four years have been the best four years of his career. Uh, His production went from one sack in 2012 up to 11 sacks in 2017 and so when you see a player um peaking and staying consistent 
four straight years, I think that's a great sign uh, for what he still has left in his tank. Uh, They're also going to look at him as a veteran leader. And when we were on the Zoom call with him, it was evident to see that he's already been able to do that. Somebody who has a great personality and I think will be a great fit in the locker room. And that's really what Brandon and Sean look at also when they're adding these guys is do they fit the DNA of this team? Can they add to the culture? Can they be a leader? And this is a pretty young team. And so they do want those veteran leaders, whether, whether it's leaders that have been on the team for quite some time or whether it's new leaders. Um, Jerry Hughes is one of those veteran leaders and uh, Mario Addison and, and Jerry Hughes actually played together when they were both on the Colts. So it's cool that they also have a connection that goes all the way back to 2011, I believe. So I think he's somebody who's going to be a force on the end for this defense. Uh, And then I look at the defensive line as a whole as something that is going to be new and exciting. Uh, You also add Quentin Jefferson and Vernon Butler. Quentin Jefferson is another player that I'm really excited about just because of what he can offer. And I think when you look at the NFL and you look at defenses now, you're seeing guys who aren't necessarily necessarily positionless players, but they can do a lot more than just what they're labeled as in position. So you're seeing these corners and these safeties who, who can rotate and who can fill in nickel rolls or big nickel rolls. You're seeing these linebackers who can drop into coverage like never before. You really just want an athlete on your defense. And I think this defense has kind of turned into that in the last few years based on how Leslie Frazier runs his defense. He wants to win those one-on-one matchups. He wants to to confuse the heck out of an offense with where he's plugging and playing players. And I think Quentin Jefferson is going to be somebody who's able to do that. He's labeled as a defensive lineman on this roster because he's going to play on the outside and the inside based on his strengths. And he said in his Zoom call that he wants to play both positions because uh, of what he can offer. And he said that he was really excited to to come to the Buffalo Bills because that defense is giving him the opportunity to kind of play all over the place. Uh, And it was also great to hear him just talk about Buffalo as being a place that players want to play now. the NFL league-wide perception of Buffalo, I would say, five years ago, guys weren't itching to come to Buffalo to play on a team. But he said, no, you bring Buffalo up now, and people want to play there. People know the culture there. People have heard of the culture. People have heard of how great the coaching staff is. People have heard of how great the defense is. And, and people want to be a part of that, especially – what could be coming, uh, the success that this team will hopefully have within the next few years. And hopefully it's something that, that can stay for, for more than a year based on what they've built in the last few years. So those are a couple of players that I'm looking at in free agency that um, may be low risk, but I think will turn out to be high reward. Definitely. All those Addison stats definitely in my mind. He's one of those, Addison's one of those weird names that like, you see floating around constantly if you're like an NFL fan and he's you know, he's always on the periphery and you recognize his name, but then you rattle off nine and a half, 11, 11, nine and a half. And you're like, oh man, that guy's really productive. Like how did the Bills sneak him away from everybody else? So definitely a name to look out for there.
And, mm -hmm. I, you know, a lot of uh, perhaps of the reason for optimism and guys want to come to Buffalo is, you know, in the next few years is that Tom Brady is finally gone from the AFC. <laughs> and now I understand if you don't want to give a definitive answer to avoid any jinxing and therefore I <laughs> Buffalo Bills uh, fan base there, Bills Mafia, but is this the year? Is this it? Is this the year that the Bills finally unseat the Patriots? What do you think? I'm not going to give a definitive answer because I don't want to jinx anything, but man, I hope it's the year, and I'm I'm so confident in this group of guys just to see how they worked their butt off day in, day out last year, the, the relationship within the locker room just how tight they were, um, the coaching staff, how how great of relationships they had with the players, how much they expected out of the players. It was it was impressive to watch, and it was so easy to cheer for just because of the blood, sweat, and tears that they put into every single day, from the practices to the games to to rehab to the weight room. It it was a well-oiled machine and they were starting to see the fruits of their labor last year now unfortunately it ended in a loss in the wild card against the Houston Texans and came close in that game should have won that game unfortunately didn't but you got to believe that's a chip on their shoulder heading into this year they know that they wanted more last year and they're going to go get it this year now the AFC East looks looks quite different with Tom Brady gone uh, but Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have said you can't be the best until you beat the best so yeah, everybody's labeling the Bills as they're the, they're the ones to win the AFC East this year, but they have to take down the Patriots before you can do that. And Bill Belichick, he's a talented coach. He's going to put together a talented roster, and they're not going to be – it's not going to be a cakewalk playing against the Patriots twice a year. It's still going to be a tough game. And you start to look at how the AFC East is developing. Now, I think the Jets still have – a couple years, I think they're still in rebuilding mode, but they could be better this year. And the Miami Dolphins spent so much money on their defense in the offseason. You got to think they're going to be better. What can Tua do in his first year? So I think the Bills have a strong shot at it, but they're going to have to get past the Patriots first. Definitely. For me, you know, just on my end, it seems like it's the natural next step in all the sports narratives you see, right? They spent the last two mm -hmm. years like building up the strength of the roster, drafting great young guys. You got Josh Allen, you got Tremaine Edwards, you got Ed Oliver, you got Devin Singletary. They heartbroken in the playoffs last year, and they played the Patriots super tight in both games that they did play with Tom Brady. So now it's the next step. It's like Jordan finally beating the Bulls in a sense. You know, I won't get too far ahead of us and make that complete comparison, but... <laughs> So it'll be really exciting to watch. And like you said, the AFC East especially has a lot going on in every respect. And, you know, the Jets, if they can avoid mono this year, you know, you think they should be they should be a little bit better. So it'll be. <laughs> but um, now we'll just move on to the last part of the interview here, which was some more, you know, lighthearted, quick hitting questions. Uh, first one, just as this could be from any point in your career or it could be a childhood memory. What is your favorite football memory? Ooh, that is a tough one. I've got to say it was in college, and I'm I'm looking at it as a memory that 
I got to be a part of, not something that I got to watch on TV. Uh, so my freshman year, which was 2010, Mizzou was ranked within the top 10. And they played Oklahoma, who was ranked top three, I want to say. And we had college game day on campus. And that was the first time that Mizzou had college game day on campus while I was a student. So being a huge sports fan, I'm so pumped that college game day is on campus. And like, heck yeah, I'm going to wait out all night to be able to have like prime standing spot when the show starts in the morning. So I'd gotten off a shift at uh, the news station and went straight to, it was at our quad and we made signs and we waited through the night and through the rain uh, to be able to have, you know, front and center looking at the college game day set once the show started early in the morning. And we went from watching the show uh, I think I got I got my sign on TV at once, and it said Lee Corso is my grandpa. So <laughs> pretty proud of the sign I made. And we went from college game day to uh, I think maybe we fit in a nap there, but went to the game. Uh, and Mizzou upset Oklahoma on college game day, and you gotta believe that that town was flipped upside down. So what happened following the win was everybody rushed the field. We tore down the goalposts. We proceeded to carry the goalpost a mile into downtown to a bar called Harpo's, where we then sawed up set goalposts and distributed pieces to people who were in the street waiting for a little bit of the goalpost. So that was a night to remember, an experience to remember. Um, we were up for, I think, like 30 straight hours. So that's a football game I'll never forget because of everything that took place in those 24 hours. I mean, yeah, that's the perfect college football memory right there. You got on game day. <laughs> sign your team upset the opponent on your home field you get to rush the field and then it's just a whole night of wild i mean that's awesome that's fantastic i am supremely yeah. jealous of you i went to fordham university <laughs> which is not exactly a college <laughs> outside of the 1900s so it's you know i let i live vicariously through through tales like that so thank you for gracing me <laughs> oh you are um, so welcome it, it was fun um who in your career has been your, if you have one, your favorite individual person that you've ever interviewed? Ooh, another tough one. Let me think. I don't know if I have a favorite. Any particular good ones that stand out then? I, I've got to say, um, I can't think of one person off the top of my head right now, but, um, the Tennessee basketball team in 2018-2019, uh, that was the last season that I was at Tennessee, and they made a run to the Sweet 16. Unfortunately, didn't get past that, um, but that team was my favorite team to cover uh, for a season to date. The personalities that those players had, uh, we started this really cool Instagram show, uh, that was a completely behind-the-scenes look at their life once a week. They they put up with me um, 
asking them to do some some crazy silly things uh, like cold cold tub karaoke and cryotherapy karaoke and just off the wall random things um but they were all down for it and it was so fun to follow them in a season where they they won so many games and it really connected the fan base to that team because the fan base felt like they could get to know them from a personal standpoint instead of just a a player in a uniform. So I've got to say that was my favorite team to be with and get to interview on the daily. I'll try and think of if there's um, one person, if, as you continue to ask some other questions, but that, that sticks out to me right now in my head. Definitely. And I'm from Boston. So I'm a Celtics fan, which meant you got to hang out with my guy, Grant Williams, a few times. I love him. He's so cool. (laughs) Grant is amazing. I, I absolutely loved getting to cover him. He's he's one of the coolest guys you'll ever meet. I've got to say. I'm glad he. I'm glad that is at, like it's, it's true. I didn't think he would come across any differently on TV or whatever, but it's nice to just know that in my heart that Grant is as pure as he comes across. It's amazing. One hundred percent. Um, so this might fall, it might be tough for you to pick an individual like the previous question, but throughout your career so far, was there any one story that you covered that really stood out to you is just for any particular reason at all that you remember fondly? Yeah. I mean, I think the Michael Sam story in college was just next level to me. Um, being so young and being a part of such a national story, Uh, was something that I never expected uh, to be a part of and and get the opportunity to cover. Uh, So being at Mizzou, when when Michael Sam was going through his pro day and uh, came out and then went into the NFL, it it was nuts to to be at a school. I mean, Mizzou is pretty big, but it got so much national attention uh, at that time because of that story. So that's a story that I don't think I will ever forget just because it was when I was a college reporter uh, going to classes in college, but such a big story. Definitely. That one is definitely one of the biggest college football slash NFL stories of the decade, I'd be pretty confident in saying. So that's a remarkable experience to be sure. Um, yeah. What's one thing about this job that you feel like other people don't know, they don't really understand? I think it's, and it's sports in general. I mean, just the work that goes into it, the work that is behind the scenes that isn't shown on camera, the work to even get into this field. Uh, I'll share a quick story about how I got my job at Tennessee. It was completely out of persistence and hard work. Uh, I found out when I applied through some connections that I wasn't actually going to get an interview. And in my mind, I was thinking, gosh, this, this could be the perfect job. I just think I, I could fit so perfectly in this role. I think I could do a great job. Why wouldn't I be interviewed for something like this? So, To me, the word no, that's not a real word. You just got to find your way around no and go at it from that direction. So Mm -hmm. I was able to get my boss on the phone, my former boss, um, who would turn into my boss on the phone. And I was like, hey, I'm going to be in Knoxville for the weekend. I'm I'm visiting a friend. Is it okay if I come by and, and you know, see, see the place, maybe do an interview. And he was like, well, if you're going to be 
in Knoxville already. I, we might as well interview you. And so I drove like 12 hours from oh, Missouri yeah. to Knoxville because uh, I was in Missouri that time for the weekend. I think visiting probably my brother who is there, went to school there and uh, showed up for my courtesy interview, which I was just really driving there, not to see a friend, but, but to do an interview. And so they interviewed me and I got the job in that interview, uh, because of the way I interviewed and how I wowed them in that interview. Uh, I was the last person that they saw it. They didn't even think I was an option, but thankfully based on what I was able to say and show in that interview, they decided that they wanted to hire me. So um, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of hours and energy. Um, I tell people that with this job, you kind of sacrifice your nights and your weekend. You don't have a real life working in this job because sports happen at night and on the weekends after everybody in normal life is off work is when we go to work and then we work those regular business hours, your nine to five hours. And you really have to love what you do and you have to be willing to give up part of your social life for this job because your job is your life when you, when you work in sports, just because it is a 24 seven thing. And the preparation that that goes into being on camera is absolutely insane especially as a female i want to be looked at some as looked at as somebody who knows my stuff i want to sound knowledgeable i want to know my stats i want to know what i'm talking about i want to know why who what i want to be able to understand the x's and the o's of the game because I want to, I want to talk the talk, uh, and I want to be looked at as somebody who is respected in the league. Uh, and so, that, to do that, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, but the payoff is so dang worth it. Um, and I love being in this role. I love being in this the sports world. I wouldn't choose anything else, um, even if I do have to sacrifice part of my social life or all of my social life for it. Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good piece of advice for anybody, any potential reporters listening to be shared. It's a full commitment. That's definitely the case. Uh, and then finally, this might overlap a little bit with what you just said, but um, what's one thing, if there is any one thing in particular, that you wish you knew about this job before you embarked on this journey? I don't think it would have deterred me away from this job, but I think it would have been interesting to see my reaction um, if I knew the time commitment that went into this job. And that's something that when I was at Tennessee, I had a lot of female interns who, who want to do um, what I'm doing, who want to work in an on-air role in sports. And I would always tell them, it's a great job. Like you see, these women on TV and a lot of people want to to get to that job and, and be like them but what people don't know is the work that it takes to get there and how like I was saying you know your social life is pretty much shot especially if you are gonna totally jump into this in college you have to give up a lot of things um, 
which I did. But I'm thankful I did that because it got me to where I am today working for the Buffalo Bills. I wouldn't be working for the Bills if I, you know, did everything at a 50% effort. I gave it my all every single day. And and that's what I, you know, continue to do. Absolutely. It's just a lot of hard work. But yeah, like you said, it's all worth the payoff. Totally. Well, that'll conclude the interview, Maddie. Thank you so much for coming on and being really honest and forthright with just everything about your journey. And it was remarkable. And thanks for all the insight on the bills, too. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure. Happy to be on. Absolutely. And thank you, listener, as always, for tuning in. I'm your host, Liam McEwen, signing off. (laughs) 